good? Amen. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed with what you've ordered at a restaurant? Wow, this is the, this is the service who hates to eat out. Um, I, I will say, I think for the most part, my track record with ordering at a restaurant is pretty good. Pretty good. There's been a few times in my restauranting life that uh, I haven't necessarily picked the, the right thing. Um, a few years back, uh, we took our staff out. This is something that we do every single year, our, our pastors. And uh, we take them out to a nice dinner and just, you know, say thank you. And, and it's the holiday season. It's the Christmas season. And so we'll pick different places to go. And I have a few spots that are like my, my jam. I, I love this place. So we tried this new really nice Italian restaurant downtown. I'd never been to it. The reviews were great. Everybody was saying how amazing of a restaurant it was. And so we went to the restaurant. And from like go, it was such an amazing experience. And we had the waitress that was like the waitress of all waitresses. She was awesome. Started to build a rapport with her, have fun with her. And, and it was just a great time. And so got to the menu. And in that moment, I saw lasagna on the menu. And how many of you know when someone puts lasagna on the menu, they either, they, they, they know what they're talking about or they're about to give you something that's horrible, right? There's no like in-between space on lasagna. You're either gonna like fake it and give me Costco lasagna, or this is your jam. Like this is what it is that you're not. And so I asked her, I said, so I see all these meals and everything, all, like what about the lasagna? And she's like, it'll change your life. <laughs> I was like, all right, you had me a hello. And so I order the lasagna, and no joke, this lasagna came out, it was like this wide, it was just a rock of lasagna, and it was meat, and noodles, and cheese, and cow, and, and pig, and all of these things just shoved in there with more, more cheese, and lasagna is not good without cheese on cheese upon cheese, you know what I'm talking about, right? The type of lasagna that hangs with you for about a week and a half, and so, it was so good. This lasagna was amazing, and I just sat back, and I just reveled. I was like, oh, oh, so good. It was just like, oh, it was so good. Faye is scrumptious. And so um, I got through the lasagna, and now she had me. I trusted everything. I was hanging on every word of this waitress. And so it was dessert time that rolled around, and everybody's picking out their desserts. And I'm the guy who gets really excited for everybody. If you haven't, I'm just an excitable person. So Seth ordered something. I was like, mm, that sounds good. Kais would order something, oh, that sounds really good. Justin would order something, I'd be like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and Eric ordered, and I'm like, I'm going to eat yours. And so I'm just pumped <laughs> about everything that's being ordered. And so I asked her, I said, well, you're, you're batting 100 here. Like, what, what, what do I need to get? And she's like, hey, you should get the souffle. And at that moment, I thought to myself, is a man of manliness like me? <laughs> Really prepared, like, and I said, like, look, I've never uttered the word souffle, let alone put it into my mouth. So, I don't know here. And, and so she says, you should order the souffle. It's got, like, lavender and hibiscus and, and lemon, and, and pretty much it's doTERRA in a bowl. And so I was like, all right, sounds, sounds good. So let's do that. I'll order the souffle. And the souffle came out, and it, was, it, it came in, like, these, those little, you know, white ceramic bowls. And what is it? Sure. Um, so, <laughs> ramekin. Um, it came out and it was this big, no joke, sticking out of the, it was just this lavender purple and I stared at it and I was like, I don't even know what to do with this thing. And I don't know if you've ever eaten souffle before. This is what souffle is if you've ever wondered. It is flavored air. 
That's what it is. And literally, I stuck my spoon in, and I thought the thing was going to deflate. It was like, right? And I was like, what do you, how do you even eat? And I put it in my mouth, and it disintegrates before it even touches anything. I was like, this is weird. I might as well just toss doTERRA in the air and breathe in heavy, and I just had a souffle. And literally, after everything that had transpired during this dinner, I was extremely disappointed in walking away because I didn't get the full experience. Like, I wanted dinner to be awesome. I wanted the appetizer, and I wanted the, the dessert to be awesome. And I walked away disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed at a restaurant after you've ordered? What you ask for is really important, isn't it? And this is what James is submitting as he encourages us to ask for wisdom. Come on, I'm shout wisdom this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, get wisdom. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you don't know me. <laughs> get wisdom. As people, we ask for a lot of things, and many times what we are asking for really is not what we need, and the overall benefit to our lives is not realized. Or what we find ourselves asking for finds its way to our table, and we immediately regret and are disappointed by what we've asked for and received. You ever, you ever been there before? But wisdom, James says, will never disappoint. It will always be the thing that we need most in our lives. So he says, ask God for wisdom. And it's amazing that James could say anything else in, in the world. He could say, ask for all. I mean, it's like the list could go on and on and on. But James says, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. So that's what we're dealing with this morning is the issue of wisdom. So why wisdom? To understand our need for wisdom, we have to start at at the beginning. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. I hope you like the Bible because we're going to be reading a lot of the Bible this morning. You get with the Bible this morning? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. From the beginning of time, wisdom has been the established design and path of God in creation and beyond creation. We find him speaking with Adam and Eve, giving them wisdom and insight in the form of a command. He says, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. And it's amazing how much we rage against commands, especially when it comes to the Bible. We're all about saying, well, God, and, and God, it's not to live by a, a line of rules, but he has certain commands that are initiatives of wisdom. And so he says to Adam and Eve, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. Now we know the rest of the story and how it goes, and they go against the protocol of wisdom laid out for them, and they choose as they saw fit. You ever been there before? You ever choose how you see fit versus what wisdom may be shouting from the rooftop? You ever chosen a different path the way you see it? And since the human plight, since then the human plight has been the struggle of choosing what we deem fit for our lives and or choosing perhaps another way, the way of wisdom contained in the heart of God for his kids. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Man, I love that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years will be added to your life. Come on, how many of you think that sounds like a good promise right there? You made a good choice this weekend, coming into church. And the fear of the Lord is not the fear like, oh, you surprised me, I'm scared. 
That's not what the Bible's talking about. The fear of the Lord is actually to stand in awe, worshipful posture towards an adherence, a gazing upon the greatness, majesty, and overall sufficiency that's found in God. That is the fear of the Lord, and that is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we worship this morning, regardless of background, creed, uh, race, financial status, no matter where you're at this morning, as we gaze upon God, as we witness his majesty and experience his presence, we're walking down the path of wisdom. So if you felt unwise, congratulations, you have an extra ounce of wisdom this morning. You came to church. It's a good place to be. In his book, A Biblical Theology of the Old Testament, Roy B. Zuck writes concerning the fear of God and wisdom. To fear God means to acknowledge his superiority over man, to recognize his deity and thus respond in awe, humility, worship, love, trust, and obedience. The fear of God, properly understood, was no mere attitude. It involved the full range of humanity's response to God. Such a response to God results in wisdom, in wise and skillful living. Come on, how many of you want skillful living? Right? I know I want Skillful living. And think about it. I, lo- I, love the, I love the descriptor that goes on. Skillful living. Like James Bond type living. Skillful. Right? In other words, there's an order to life and faith. Established before time and it's wisdom. The Bible, order, tells us, was established by wisdom, the wisdom of God. You and I, you, 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 you and I have been created by Wisdom. Understanding this truth that means that we know that God is not a God of chaos. That nothing good actually comes out of chaos. Nothing grand comes out of chaos. It's God established order and then good things come out of it. Creation is a product not of chaos but of order. Wisdom. Wisdom. And that's, I know the argument that's taking place, we're going to go through this in a minute, but in the world that we live in now, And I don't know about you, but there's many moments in my life when I stare, when I gaze upon the stars, when I understand how things are held together in the universe, when I watch babies develop and the things that happen in life, I can't can't get away from the idea that there is wisdom behind it versus chaos behind it. God doesn't build things out of it. He's a God of order. Order. So wisdom then can be by definition, if you love definitions, I would encourage you to write this down this morning so we have a working definition the acquisition and implementation of divine perspective. That is wisdom. Divine perspective. A different way of looking at things that is attached to the heart, the nature, and the character of God. The New American Commentary puts it this way. A divine perspective is needed in the present to aid the believer in the journey of life and to fortify the self against temptation. You ever been tempted before? Come on, don't get quiet on me, church. We've all been tempted before. Like, is that a trick question? <laughs> We've all been tempted, right? Every single one of us has been tempted. We've, we've, we've stood in the throes of temptation. The Bible tells us that every single one of us has gone beyond temptation and we've sinned, right? We've messed up. Everybody shake your head. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. It's a therapy session. Welcome to church. <laughs> we've all been there, but wisdom helps us, provides for us what we're truly looking for and needing in order to reinforce the strength, the internal fortitude that we need to process through life and and faith. Now, we have a tendency to search for wisdom in a few different places. The first place that we look is we look for it in intellect. Come on. Intellect. 
We try to get smart about things, and this is when we pursue intellect, believing that true wisdom comes from the amount of knowledge that we can amass. You ever met smarty pants before? You ever wanted to smack smarty pants before? Yeah, just putting that out there. Let me be clear, I'm not against intellectualism, the gaining of knowledge. However, when we allow it to become a substitute to the wisdom that we are told to ask God for, we find ourselves in dangerous territory. The greatest minds of, of history started out in the search of God. They wanted to see God, math, science, the arts. It was all about seeing and understanding and experiencing the presence of God to an even greater degree. But we've allowed our intellect to take over the place that God said, ask for wisdom from me for. So we've just decided to try to get smart on things. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3 says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs, puffs up. Puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Come on, like, have you ever been in that place where you learned something new and you felt awesome because of it? Right? You, like, find out that thing and you automatically have a leg up on somebody. You're like, oh, man, I'm so smart. I learned, my wife's very, very smart. Like, she's the smartest in my family. Me, not so much. And so when I gain knowledge that I know that I have outside of her and she doesn't know, and then I, like, say something, she's like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. You see that, Justice? That is how we roll. <laughs> knowledge pops up. And so we have a tendency to look for wisdom intellectually, but we've got to remember that God said, no, ask. Ask of me. Intellect does not stand at odds with fate, but it does produce, but it does not produce the wisdom that is only found and founded upon Christ. Number two, the second place that we look for wisdom is practically. Or are all my practical people in the house? A plus B equals C. You know what I'm talking about? This is the way that it goes. This works. This is me in a nutshell. I get this because this is my greatest weakness and greatest deterrent in asking God for wisdom. I am and have the tendency to be super practical, which tends to deter me from actually asking God how to see things. Erica will say to me, she's like, have you prayed about this? And I was like, why don't you pray about this? A plus B equals C. It's simple. Have you prayed about this? fine. God give me wisdom, <laughs> right? And this is my, if I could be open and transparent with you, this is my greatest weakness. Because I actually think that practicality is the way the Lord works. But have you ever gone through practicality and realized it and getting you anywhere practical? Right? And then God works in the whole program and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how'd we get here? Why? Because his ways are above our ways? Right? He doesn't see things the way that we see things. He doesn't operate in the way that we operate. And so we have a tendency to believe wisdom is found in practicality. The third one, the third place that we look for wisdom is experientially. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Hear this from a lot of people, no matter what age or stage that they're in life, we somehow come to the conclusion that wisdom is the product of experience. Now, I understand that experience teaches us things. Can we all agree on that? We can all agree that experience gives us knowledge in certain ways, but I think you would all agree with me that I don't need experience to understand why certain things probably don't work for my life. And even more so, I don't need experience to tell me why certain things are unhealthy for my life, right? So we look for wisdom and experience. If I just experience, I just want to experience everything. 
just want to experience the world. <laughs> right? You heard that? Just experience. <laughs> I don't know, babe. <laughs> My wife. Oh, God bless her. Um, had a conversation recently in which the idea was presented to me that in order to know whether you are compatible with someone or not, it's only to be found by having sex with them. And we can gasp and go, oh, people think that? Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people. Christians think that, right? Why? What's the premise behind it? The premise is experience gives me wisdom. So I can only find compatibility with something if I know all these things. Can I just tell you something? Compatibility is not found by simply sleeping with people. Let me tell you the truth. The parts fit. They work. <laughs> can I get an amen? Theology 101. <laughs> you don't need wisdom to figure that out. <laughs> right? And you don't need experience to get the wisdom on that. Compatibility is not built upon those things. We're going to talk about this in a relationship series that's going to be coming up in the fall. Compatibility is a totally different issue. But outside of that, so many people believe that wisdom is only found in my experience. But God says, no, 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 you don't need experience. You don't need to experience certain amounts of pain. You don't need to go through certain things in order to gain wisdom. Just ask me and I'll let you know about some things. Right? There's certain things as a father that I don't want my kids to go through. Why? Because I'm a father. And so I pray that my daughter and my son have the courage one day. And, and listen, and I want to say this. I didn't say this in the first service. Do you know it takes courage to ask for wisdom? Why? Because the minute you receive wisdom, you have to do something with it. So a lot of us are actually afraid to ask for wisdom because we simply just don't want to do what's necessary once I receive the wisdom. I actually think my kids don't ask me to do certain things or for certain things. Why? Because the minute they know, they're held accountable to the wisdom bomb that's been dropped from their father. And I call it a wisdom bomb because come on, somebody. <laughs> we give our kids these things and they have then the choice to do something. And a lot of us decide not to ask God for wisdom because, well, we'll be held accountable for that wisdom. Put it this way if you're taking notes. When wisdom is dropped in your heart and you go against wisdom, we step into stupidity, not ignorance. <laughs> Come on. We don't like that it's true. But the Bible, Proverbs will literally tell us wisdom helps us stay away from stupidity. Stupidity and ignorance are two very different things. It's based upon what it is that you know and have been given. So we've got to get wisdom. So we look for it intellectually, practically, experientially, and then we look for wisdom in one other place. We look for it in the world, don't we? Lots of scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Watch what happens. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. It's interesting how the enemy comes in straight away to confuse what God's original, original intent was for them. Did God say that you shouldn't eat of any tree? No. He didn't say that. He said not this tree. And it's interesting how the wisdom of the world will try to redefine the wisdom of God in our lives. 
take one thing and highlight it differently than what it was originally said. And the interesting thing is, and then in that wisdom, we feel like somehow God is boxing us into some weird place where we can't do anything, have anything, enjoy anything, or be anything. But that's not the truth. God's original intent was to run wide open with him, to be in all of this space, to walk with him in the cool of the day. And the enemy came along and tricked it with a different vice, and he said, listen, did he not say all of these things? So Eve corrects him and says, no, that's not what he said. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, watch. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's go back to the beginning once again, the very beginning. When God said, let us create, what did he say? He said, let us create them in what? Our image. It's interesting how the enemy comes in like a freight train to try to confuse the identity that had already been spoken over them. You will be like God. Well, wait a second. We were just made in his image and likeness. What are you doing? So he starts to confuse. So our identity is confused. What God's wisdom that laid out for us is, is now confused. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of, its first, or took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and then they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's interesting that the wisdom of the world will always lead us to shame. See, God didn't shame Adam and Eve by keeping them away from a certain area. The one thing that he said, do not eat of this tree. It didn't keep them in a place, they weren't in a place of shame. It was only until they decided to go against the wisdom of God that they realized that they were naked and ashamed. And see, God's wisdom, the wisdom that is from above, will always lead us to a place of freedom. But the wisdom that is found in the world will always lead us to a place of Shame. Why? Because the world cannot and will not ever provide for us what we are looking for. Wisdom in and through the world is humanistic at best. It puts us created beings at the seat of all things. So many of us are looking for spiritual answers in worldly places. We're searching for the wisdom that only comes from our creator. And we're searching for that wisdom in created things. We're supposing that the wisdom that comes from created things is somehow greater than the creator who established order by his wisdom said this is the way that it's going to be. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? And so we've got to ask for wisdom. We need wisdom in everything that we do, in every relationship that we have, in every decision that we make. We need wisdom. And so in asking God for wisdom, there are four important truths that we need to consider and remember. And these are what I want to look at for the remainder of our time together this morning. I need your help. Would you shout number one for me? Number one, the first thing is this. Wisdom is not automatic. It must be sought and cultivated. Wisdom is not automatic. It must be sought and cultivated in our lives. A couple of things that the Bible, here we go, lots of scripture that the Bible says about this issue right here. The first one is this. It says listen for it. How do we, how do we search for it? How do we cultivate wisdom? Well, the first thing is we've got to listen for it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. How many of you think that sounds pretty good right there? 
You ever woke up on a day and just dreaded some stuff? But wisdom, whoever listens to wisdom, listens to God, dwells secure and will be at ease. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and, my tre- and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We've got to listen for it. We've got to be attentive. You ever had selective listening before? Some of you don't even want to admit that right now. <laughs> this happens with couples all the time. I sit with, married or not, but I'll sit with a lot of pre-marriage couples, and we have this thing that we do in, in, in the program that we use, where I sit them down and I say, okay, she's going she's gonna to tell you something, and then you have to use active listening, dude. Active listening. You hear me? Active listening. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> You have to use active listening, and then you have to, all you, this is all you have to do. All you have to do is repeat to her what she said. That's it. That's it. This part of the pre-marriage counseling gives me great joy because it's hilarious to watch. So she'll say, well, honey, um, so I wish that we would spend more time together because if we did, it would make me feel loved and cherished. And I'm like, oh, this, he, he's got this. It was not a long sentence. Good job. You were very, very forceful with that. Thank you. And then he goes, what you said, I'm just thinking through it, is that we don't spend enough time together because I don't like being around you. <laughs> what? It's not active listening. It's defensive listening. Yeah. Right? Defensive listening, it's amazing how we do the same exact thing with God, right? We like it when God says, I'm going to bless you, yay, (laughs) right? I'm for you, yes, I like that. I'm going to be with you, yeah, I'm going to keep you secure, yes, forgive people, yeah, whoa, love people, la, 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 la. Wisdom says, listen for it. Listen to the voice of God. The second thing that the Bible tells us on cultivating and, and, and seeking out wisdom is that we have to acquire it. Right. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. Whatever you get, get insight. I was driving out from Park City the other day, driving down the mountain. So we were coming back from a, just a quick trip into the mountains. And as I was driving down, I looked in this like, kind of like slot canyon area on my right-hand side, and I saw these guys. They were out there looking for like metal of some sort. Right? They're just out there, and they're waving their things. Just two dudes having the time of their life. They're just And I'm looking, and I'm staring at them like, gosh, that's boring. And if you do that, like, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. We're going to turn it around in a second. So they're out there. (laughs) Doing their thing, looking for gold, looking for silver, whatever they're looking for out there. I don't know what they're looking for. And then right there, the Spirit of God speaks to me and literally says, that's what I need you to be when it comes to wisdom searching for, longing for, just, oh, I need wisdom, looking for it, right, looking for it everywhere, come on somebody, right, it's right here, we 
got to search for it. we got to tear it apart. we got to get into it. Why? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. So we got to listen. we got to acquire it. I want it. I want wisdom. I want wisdom. Why? So I can lead my family, so I can be a good husband, so I can be a good father, so I can be a good pastor, so I can be a good friend, so I can be a good leader. I want wisdom. Listen for it. Acquire it. The third thing the Bible tells us is we have to love it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Spitting a lot this morning. This is awesome. Love it. Proverbs 4, verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Speaking of wisdom, it seems almost weird to put this type of emphasis on the feelings that we have towards what seems like an inanimate object. But wisdom is quite the opposite. It's an object that we can possess and utilize, and we are to love it. And when we love it, then we're able to do the next thing that the Bible tells us to do with wisdom, and that's value it. Value it. Proverbs 4, verse 8. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Value it. What you value is seen in the value that you place upon it. Simply put, wisdom valued is seen in the exercising of it. You can't say that you value wisdom if you don't use it and exercise it in your life. I love wisdom, but I'm not going to do anything that wisdom says. Then you don't value it. You don't value it. It'd be like this. We're making public service now. After, after service this afternoon, the Lord has blessed our church highly, greatly. Everybody's getting a free Range Rover when they walk out of here. Yeah, see, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> Even if you don't like a Range Rover, you're pumped about it. Right? Here's the keys, nothing. No attack, nothing. Here's the ra- Range Rover it up. Go for it. Range Rover it up. How many of you know that we would quickly understand who values that gift and who doesn't value that gift based upon what they do with it? Right? See, if you took the keys and you're like, nah, I just don't like Range Rovers. You don't value it. But then you have other people who are like, are you serious, Clark? Take the keys and they're off and running. They're in the car. They're jumping. Yeah! yeah!" It's wisdom. We've got to value it. We've got to do something with it. Value is what you is seen in how you place value upon it, how you use it. And the last one is this. The Bible says we got to seek it. This is cultivating. Seek it. Proverbs 8, 17, actually 12 through 17 says this. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. It's beautiful. So we've got to seek it. This is how we build and seek, cultivate wisdom in our lives. This is what the Bible teaches us. Number two, every shout number two. Number two, the second thing that we need to understand, the second truth about wisdom is, is this right here. Is wisdom, stop, stop. <laughs> wisdom <laughs> is not a handout, it's, it's a gift. Wisdom is not a handout, it's a gift. That's why James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
In other words, it's a, it's a gift. Wisdom is the heart of God, and if we're not careful, we can arrive at the conclusion that God only gives us wisdom so that we simply don't mess things up. That's a handout. Wisdom is a gift. It's totally different. He says, I want to give this to you so that you can have the life that I purpose for you. So that you can do everything that I've called you to do. Writer of the New American Commentary writes this about wisdom. Wisdom is required because the faithful do not always know how to persevere, nor do they easily find the will to rejoice in future blessings while enduring present trials. Wisdom. We need wisdom. Number three, every shot number three. The third thing is this. Wisdom is an identifier. I love this. Wisdom is an identifier. James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Come on, can we see that in the world that we live in nowadays? So here we are running around with the wisdom of ourselves, the wisdom of humanity that we've come up with, and it's helping our world a lot right now. But that's not what the Bible says. Where where humanly wisdom exists, where worldly wisdom exists, it's earthly and spiritual demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But watch this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. How many of you think that that would help your marriage? If we had that type of wisdom exercise, how many of you think that that would help our workplaces and help our personal lives and help our relationships? Wisdom. Godly wisdom. See, wisdom has a character. It has attributes and even a personality. Wisdom both identifies us and gives us what we need in order to identify it. Did you hear that this morning? We can identify what wisdom is. You ever had somebody tell you something, how to do something, the way to go something, and it just confused you and messed you up? That's super confusing. That doesn't make sense. It's chaotic. There's no order to it. But wisdom is peaceable. There's not chaos in it. There's goodness in it. It's open to reason. Wisdom may not feel good all the time, but it is palatable. The Bible says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You know, when I make decisions, I ask a lot of questions to a lot of people. I look for wisdom. I ask our pastors. I ask our elder. I ask our board. I ask friends. I ask people that I trust in my life, and they give me wisdom. I'm like, God, is this, is this the wisdom you give? But ultimately, when it comes to making decisions in life and doing the things that I do, I have to go, God, give me wisdom. Come on, somebody. Give me wisdom. And number four, the last one is this. As we land this plane... Jesus is the sum and the substance of wisdom. Jesus is the sum and the substance of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? 
Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ, a stumbling block to Jew and a folly to the Gentiles. Watch this. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Maybe you've never thought about Jesus like that before. He is the sum and the substance of wisdom. When you're fearful, it's Jesus. When you're insecure, it's Jesus. When you're unsettled, it's Jesus. When you're in chaos, it's Jesus. When it doesn't make sense, it's Jesus. When you're feeling sick, it's Jesus. When you don't know where to go, it's Jesus. Why? He is the sum and the substance of wisdom. When the marriage is falling apart, it's Jesus. When things don't make sense, it's Jesus. When the world is going to hell in a handbasket, it seems, it's Jesus. When things don't make sense, it is Jesus. He's the sum and the substance of it all. And so many of us are looking for Jesus in all other things. We only find Jesus in Jesus. We only find the wisdom that we need in Jesus. So stop searching. You don't need to search anymore. Why? Because he's already been given to you. For God so loved the world that he gave. The gift's been given. The question is this, do we receive that gift this morning? I'm asking everybody just to stand their feet in this moment.